does the English translation of silent properly describe what is meant in the Greek word? Not in 1 Timothy 2. The word hesuchia okay. does not mean silence, like total silence. It means let them learn in quietness, like with a quiet spirit. But the word in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, sigate, okay. that does mean. Okay, so what's a quiet spirit? Uh, what is That's that? a submissive spirit, a quiet spirit, not an overbearing spirit, a, um, a non-pushy spirit. Hmm. But in the 1 Corinthians 14, it's talking about standing up and teaching in the assembly, and it says, Hmm? Okay. See, you got that. All right. Uh, in regards to women being silent in the assembly, what is the thought process on Bible classes or small groups? Ooh, I'm afraid of that. <laughs> um, the scriptures do not address that specifically. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that because of 1 Timothy 2 8, where he says, I would therefore that the men pray in every place, lifting up holy hands. That was the synagogue service, public, big service modality. Yeah. And um, he's talking about the teaching in that public service and the leading of the prayers in that public service. Then in 1 Corinthians 14, it's quite clear because there's five times, I think, in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 where he says, when you come together, mm -hmm. and they are in 11, 17, 11 and 18, 1 Corinthians 11, 20, mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 11, 33 and 34. Okay. All yep. right. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, he says, when the whole church comes together in one place. Mm -hmm. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 26, when therefore, you know, you come together, one has a psalm, one has a, yeah. Yep. So when you come together, it's clearly, and he talks about the Lord's Supper being taken, it's clearly in the assembly. So we don't see anything similar to our breakdown in Bible classes. Now we know in, in the book of Acts, Paul reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus, but that was a, that was a more informal discussion that was different Wrong. than the, the assembly. So we don't have, we have uh, Aquila and Priscilla studying the Bible with with uh, Apollos, yeah. and uh, certainly there were other things like that, but we don't have anything biblically that equates to our small group Bible classes. So it's a judgment question. All we can do is make a judgment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you've got the argument of, okay, this is God's rule for headship and so forth. How does this apply? We know it doesn't apply at home because first, Corinthians 14, 35 says it's different at home mm -hmm. with a husband and a wife. Yep. So is it different around a table at home with a family? All right. And what if there's just a couple of couples? You know, that's not like the public assembly. Mm -hmm. So then you have to start making some judgments and you get big auditorium classes like this. That's getting pretty close, you know. Yeah. So at least what we've tried to adopt is that the men do the, the teaching role but there's nothing that says a woman can't inquire in circumstances like that. So yeah, that's the best I got because there's nothing scriptural to answer it with. Yeah, so it's kind of a, you take what you can, but obviously we're not going to bind on things. That yeah, here's what God says. We stay there. Mm -hmm. 
And then we have to use some good judgment on these other things. How much of that, I'm going to probe maybe a little further than the questioner goes, but how much of that is dependent upon the people you're with? Um, I think it does depend somewhat on the people that you're with, but you always have to ask, if, if we begin doing this, how, how close are we getting to what the scripture mm. says no? Now, you always get the question, you've got young men, uh, they get 12 years old, and they're baby boys as far as I'm concerned. That doesn't make them a man that they're 12. But, you know, when should women stop teaching those classes? Those are not men. Yeah. Those are boys. But, but they're somewhere in there yeah. that it becomes pretty gray, and so, you know, yeah. Again, it's a judgment call. Yeah, and I've, I've heard it taken as far as, okay, you had an 11-year-old kid, got baptized. Yeah, baptizing does not make a man. Yeah, it sure doesn't give them all the knowledge and no. understanding. and Yeah, so a lot of gray area. Plus, there's a lot of older ladies that in private, I'll, I'll all the time, you know, go to them, and they give me good biblical advice, and I'll ask them things, and there's nothing. They're not trying to usurp any authority. We're just talking as... Christians, so yeah, yeah. I think that's something I've I've said before, and I know I've heard from other people is there are ladies who are better teachers than most of the men they've heard. Yep, and they'll hear better insight sometimes from them too. Mm -hmm. So definitely not discounting any of that. Yep. All right. Uh, in order to keep kosher or halal, Ooh. a cleric, a rabbi, or a mom has to bless that food. Does the work of the cleric take precedent over the law of Christ? So now it's more than just a, oh, I'm following their rules and regulations. I'm actually wanting the actual stuff that is kosher or halal. Does that... Well, that gets you into being, I guess, superstitious. Because first of all, I don't know that there's anything in Scripture that would suggest that that's required of food. The closest Scripture would be the one we read. Mm-hmm. Every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. Blessing in the Bible does not mean that I'm going to put a holy whammy on something. Blessing is praying or giving thanks for the food. So when you eat any food, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, yes. says you're supposed to receive it with thanksgiving. So every food you eat whether it's a catfish or a pig or whatever it is, is supposed to be blessed, meaning you give thanks for it. So, so, in, so in this sort if, of... If you're thinking you've got to eat food because some holy man has, has blessed it, you have been misled in a number of ways because no other person can thank God for your food. And just because you pray for it doesn't make it like, oh, I'm not going to get sick over this because no. I'm praying for it. It could have like salmonella. <laughs> Praying doesn't take away salmonella? Yeah, salmonella bad. Let's just stop that discussion. Then. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, if a man, husband, is the head of the home, who do single women turn to for leadership? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Why is the single lifestyle promoted and then never talked about? Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, in... 1 Corinthians okay. chapter 7. Paul is really talking about a, a special circumstance there, but he exalts the single life. 
And he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish everybody could be like I am. Paul chose not to have a wife. Right. And he said that, you know, some people can't do that. But if they can, a little bit later, if you go down to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, read me about three Three or four verses there, 732. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this not for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. I say this for your, for your benefit. Thank you. For your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. All right. So what Paul is saying is the ideal situation for working for the Lord would be to be unencumbered mm. and to be able to do it and not worry about anybody else. That would be the ideal. But in this very passage, he says in verse 1, to avoid fornication. Yeah. Or verse 2, he says, to avoid fornication, let each one have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And then in verse 9, he says, if they cannot control themselves, mm. let them marry. And so probably more people are in that category. But, but single people, we need much more um, promotion of single people who are trying to be Christians and live Christian lives and we need to embrace those people with our families and love those people and encourage those people and include those people. One of the things I like about our small groups is that we can include single people in those groups and they can have interaction. And and, and so if they have made this choice yeah. and they aren't you know, worried about being tempted by all the sexual immorality and stuff, mm -hmm. it's, they've decided, I'm single, I'm good with it, yep. moving on. Yep. This is keep saying that basically their headship is the Lord, and there's not really anything in between that. Practically, I think is how this question gets. Oh, you, you mean if they don't have one of those? I think yeah. the same. The same. If they don't have a husband, the same roles of men and women in the assembly still apply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like in their home, I mean, they, oh, sure, they're basically, yeah, they're kind of. And, and honestly, I think a lot of us men. Who, who are uh, in, in very pure ways. We need to love and mentor these young women and these women need to mother and mentor these young men and we need to love them like we would any other. Which, what's the passage uh, where they kind of lay out and mainly they're talking to widows, but it's that sort of, if you're a single woman you're to care for and all those different things and it lays out almost how they can look look out for and take care of each You're other. You're probably looking at Titus 2 and how he, he does that. Also, 1 Timothy. Mm. But but the bottom line to this is, yes, we do need to exalt being single as a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Okay. And at some point, just again, maybe going beyond, but if you're a single lady specifically, single guy may be a little bit different, but is there supposed to be a role within the church who's then going to step in and kind of look out for and oversee? Elders should. The older women, the women should. The women should look after one another. I think all of us. I, I love the single women of this church. I have a great respect for those women. And uh, 
you know, I think all of us, we're a family. Yeah. So it basically goes, like the passage that we were reading says, it goes directly to Christ's body. Right. And having the physical family as an intermediate. And go to 1 Timothy 5, 1, if you would, there for just a minute. And 1 and 2 or so. Okay. Uh, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. And that's irrespective of whether they're single, married, yeah. whatever they were. Kind of goes just to the generalized body right. of Christ, family right. of God. And I think that's why we need more association in groups, because you've got the question of with all purity, and there's no danger of anything other than that. Yeah. In groups. Where in the Bible is the word rapture found? Ooh, several places actually. But it's in First <laughs> Thessalonians chapter four. I thought for sure we'd be going to Revelation. That's it's a rare conversation when Dan and I don't end up in Revelation at some point. <laughs> We're not going to Revelation. Not going. Right not going to Revelation. We actually could probably, but in First Thessalonians chapter. Four. Uh, verse 16, I think, or 17, 16 and 17. Start with 15. Uh, Doesn't 15 you say, it. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the trump voice of the archangel, trump of God, the dead in Christ shall ride first. Then we that are alive shall together with them be caught up. <laughs> and that, that word, caught up, is, I don't know really how they got rapture out of it, but the, the pronunciation of it is harpogmos, and it has an R in it, harpogmos, which means to be grabbed or caught up or snatched up. Yeah. Um, in the passage, uh, it, it just means to be taken up into the air. Um, it is also the word that's used in um, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, Jesus did, uh, being equal with God was something to be grabbed onto and held onto. That's your word for caught up. Um, when in John when in John chapter 10, it's talking about the wolves and how he's gonna grab that sheep and take off with it. That's that same word, rapture. It means to grab you up, you know. I had a fox that, that went into my uh, next door neighbor's chicken, got that chicken, grabbed that thing up, Harpagmos, drug him out behind my kitchen window and right in front of me just went and shook him and the feathers flew everywhere and ran off and ate him. That's the word, rapture. But the Bible teaches that when Jesus comes again, God's people is going to be, are going to be caught up into the air to meet the Lord. That is the rapture. And yes, we believe in the rapture. But we don't believe in maybe the way modern culture has... We don't believe in premillennialism. Uh, and he's going to come to the earth and establish kingdom. But that the word rapture is a biblical word. And we do believe that people will be caught up into the clouds. Hmm. So it would be interesting to know how in the world we got from that word you said. Say it again. Harpogmos. Harpogmos. To caught up to rapture. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a pronunciation thing with the R in there. Uh, there's a there's a verb form and a noun form, and they're making the word rapture out of that. But it means to be. Okay, so yep. it means caught up, but not necessarily caught up before in the thousand Even years. when a thief would grab something and run off with it, that was the word. Okay. You know. So it's a good word. If I have a piece of bacon, 
And my little dog goes, how? I can't take half my, that's that word right there. Uh, culture is not all bad. On one hand, we embrace, let's see, da, 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 da. here we go. Uh, on one hand, we embrace it, such as using social media, reaching out to our community, service times are specific to our culture, but these are part of our culture we absolutely need to counter. So, but there, there are parts of culture that we absolutely need to counter. So where is the balance we choose to embrace in one area and reject in another? Well, uh, that's a fantastic question and obviously in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 one of the best passages to answer that question. 1 Corinthians 9 start with about verse 22 maybe maybe a little bit before that 19 or 20. Uh, for though I am free from all. Yep. Okay. Read, it, read it out. Uh, for though I am free from all I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more to them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. And I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So there he's specifically saying that wherever we can meet the culture on their own ground, we should. When Paul was around Gentile people, he didn't wear Jewish clothes, he didn't take a Jewish diet, he didn't, he didn't act a Jewish, he just acted like a regular guy in their culture. He ate the food that they ate, he, he went with them wherever they went. But in the specific ways where a Christian is different, he was different in those ways. But he tried to be with those people and accept them on, on every possible level. When he was with Jews, he didn't work on Saturday. Hmm. When he was with Gentiles, he worked on Saturdays. Yeah. You know, he, he met them wherever they were in the culture. Service times, uh, what ways that we reach out into the community. We can meet our culture where it is. And absolutely, we've got to do that. But that doesn't violate any principle of Scripture when we do those things. It's only if we were to, to say that things like, um, uh, like marriage was simply cultural. Hmm. And we don't have to be married to cohabit or something like that. You know, then we would be acquiescing to the culture on points that God said don't do it. But certainly we've got to meet the culture where the culture is. Doing this is meeting the culture. Because the culture's on the, yeah. what's that thing, that thing that connects the whole world together and it's all out there, it's inside, what do you call that thing? The internet. That's what I'm talking about right there. 